0: Yes, we praise Yahweh, the great three-in-one, Father, Son, and Spirit. We've worshipped by singing, by praying, and now we want to continue our worship by the reading and preaching of God's Word. If you turn your Bibles to our scripture reading, Romans 6. Romans 6, 1 through 10, if you need a pew Bible, it's there in front of you, page 1120. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that pew Bible and make it your own. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by the grace of the gospel. We're overwhelmed that the Christianity is not spelled do, it's spelled done because in your son all has been accomplished, a death to sin and a resurrection life and a resurrection power to no longer sin. Father, open our hearts by that same grace to not only read these words, but to understand them, and not merely understand them, but to apply them to our lives, so that we too may walk in newness of life. To your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning.
1: Welcome. It sounds like you got an extra hour of sleep, or how many lost an extra hour of sleep. You really didn't take advantage of it. Whatever the case might be for you, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad that we can continue this morning in our series, Rediscover the Church, that we began last Sunday, and I'm glad you're here to be part of lesson number two, sermon number two, whatever you want to call it, as we are discovering, or rediscovering perhaps, some of the essentials to what it means to function as a church body here at LifeBridge. Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ. Joined together, here in this local church, we don't want to do church our own way, which we are often prone to do according to what's popular in our culture. We want to do, rather, God's, do church God's way, and we want to do it according to His Word. We want to do it for His glory and even for our good, and if you were with us last Sunday, we discovered that church membership is God's wonderful, glorious design for every follower of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to rediscover the church ordinances. Now that topic may not sound particularly thrilling to you. In fact, when most people hear that, they don't typically think to themselves, I don't know how many of you did just a minute ago. yay, church ordinances. man, it's gonna be awesome this morning. so glad I came. Instead, most people probably think church ordinances. what is that? And what difference does it make for my life today? Well, here's what I want to do in this message this morning is I actually I want to show you that the church ordinances are rather extremely significant for your life and our life together as a church family. So before we go any further, we probably ought to stop and answer the question, what are the ordinances of the church? Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen here behind me. There are actually two ordinances of the church. One is believers' baptism, and the other one is the Lord's Supper. And here's the thing with both of them. They are visible reminders of the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. And so they are gifts from God to us as a church family, as a church body. They are His visible reminders that He's given to us. Now, we use the word ordinance there. What does that mean? An ordinance, that word just means a prescribed practice. In other words, it's an activity that God has told us to do when we come together as a church body. Now, sometimes these ordinances are referred to as, as sacraments, and some of you may have backgrounds which uh, your, your church tradition or background, you maybe even use the word sacraments, and that word just means sacred in Latin. And by all, yes, indeed, listen, the ordinances are sacred, by the way. They are very sacred, so it's not necessarily a bad word to use, But the reason that that at least we here at LifeBridge, we choose to avoid the word sacraments is that because some other church denominations have somewhat hijacked that word and and they've used it in a way that it tends to have a connotation. And we would even say a misunderstanding that baptism and the Lord's Supper has a means of saving you. And we don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches. And so therefore, we don't use the word sacraments. We we choose the the word sacraments ordinances to describe baptism and to describe communion since they are activities that are ordained by Jesus Christ. What I mean by that, Jesus Christ has specifically commanded the church to do these two things. We are to participate in these two things. Now, that's not the only thing the church participates in. Obviously, there are other things that the church does, but these two above all are what Jesus Christ has ordained for the church to do. He's prescribed these things for the church to participate in. And so while both ordinances, believers, or with both these ordinances, we here now, believers in Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity when we participate in these to remember something. To remember the goodness of God. To remember the grace of God, especially as it is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, in the work of Jesus Christ. Both his past work in our lives when he died on the cross and resurrected, his present work in our lives, because the gospel is not just something that for, is for our past, by the way. The gospel is ongoing, amen? Amen. The gospel has a transforming work in our lives even today. So, yes, it took place in the past with Christ's work on on the cross, his death, his resurrection, but the gospel continues to make a difference in our lives today. And then there's a future work with the gospel because we believe we look forward to what's happening, going to come. Jesus is going to come someday, right? Are you looking forward to that? I hope so. That's our anticipation. That's our hope. And so every time we participate in these ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, we we are taking time to remember and even to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us in the past, what he's doing for us in the present, and what he's going to do for us yet in the future. Hallelujah! What an opportunity we have. What a beautiful gift God has given to the church body like ours. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Augustine says that these two ordinances are a kind of visible word of God, while Thomas Watson describes the Lord's Supper as a a visible sermon. Marcus Johnson put it this way, baptism is not something other than the gospel. It is the gospel in three-dimensional form, the experience and assurance of which we live the rest of our lives. This means that my baptism, your baptism, when we see somebody get baptized, All of us then at that time, and even the Lord's Supper, baptism and the Lord's Supper, it preaches something to us. It preaches the gospel to us first and foremost, and it does so in a very important way. Baptism and communion, in other words, are truths, gospel truths that we can touch, that we see. They're visible reminders of that. Now, today, even though we got an extra hour of sleep, some of you may feel a little drow- drowsy, tired, and that may be a symptom even spiritually, how you feel. Today, you, you might feel forgiven, you might feel like a new person in Christ, you may feel loved by God, but today, you don't feel that way so much. What about the Day that comes when you sin spectacularly or when cancer is diagnosed or when you're betrayed by a friend? How will you feel then? Will you feel like a new person in Christ when all this stuff happens in our lives? You see, a hope that is built on our feelings, built on our circumstances, is a hope that is built on a very shaky ground. It will not survive the storms of life, and we all go through storms of life. And so while one day we may feel rather confident in our faith, another day we may not feel so confident. In fact, we may struggle. We may have doubts. We may have discouragements. Or as Calvin says, the ordinances are an outward sign by which the Lord seals on our consciences the promises of his goodwill toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith. You see, our hope is built on the promises of God. And so God in his kindness, knowing how frail we are, knowing how battered in life we can be, he has also given us his promises in the water, in the bread, and in the wine. And he's done so because God loves us. And he wants us to be confident in that love and in the promises he has given us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's important from the beginning here that we understand this, that we grab hold of this, that these two ordinances of the church, baptism and communion, they are visible reminders of God's glorious, wonderful promise to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A past promise, a present promise, and still yet a future promise. Now, as you can see, uh, we don't have a text today. Chris read a text to us, but in this series, this is somewhat called a topical series, in the sense that we're not going expositionally through a book of the Bible like we normally do. So there are a lot of different passages of Scripture we're going to be referring to here this morning. And so I invite you to open your Bibles. I hope you have your Bible. If you don't, to use a pew Bible there in front of you, and I invite you to get that ready and to, when we allude to different texts, to turn there look at it for yourself. Because here's the thing. I don't want you to just take my word for what I'm getting ready to say here this morning. We ought to be taking God's word. This is what God has to say to us, okay? So let's start with Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you want to turn there, which describes the beginning of the New Testament church. Now, here's the background. Jesus has just died on the cross. He's risen from the grave, and he has now ascended into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, he promised that his spirit would come. And here in Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what happens at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. And as a result of that, one of the apostles, this guy by the name of Peter, man, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he stands up, and he begins to preach. You know what he preaches about? None other than Jesus Christ. He preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and the climax of Peter's message is found here in Acts chapter 2 at the end of verses 36 through 41. Look what it says. This is Peter now saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, let me just say here that Peter's not saying that baptism brings forgiveness of sins. We know from other places in Scripture that it's faith in Christ that brings forgiveness of sins. And baptism here is simply the outward act that demonstrates that inward faith. And we know this. We know it because many other verses show that our sins are forgiven through faith alone in Christ alone, apart from baptism. The point here I want you to see is there is a very close connection in Peter and the rest of the apostles' minds between belief and baptism. The idea of an unbaptized believer is very foreign in the New Testament. So with that in the background, let's rediscover believer's baptism. And first point is the mandate of it. Man, the mandate of baptism. Why should I be baptized? Now, I'll be honest with you. I sat in my office, and as I wrote this outline out, the mandate, I hesitated using that term <laughs> for obvious reasons. Because in our culture now, that word's been hijacked, and it has negative connotations to it, depending on what, you know, you think. And, and I, I was like, but it's, but it's biblical. And that's why I kept it, okay? The mandate of baptism, it's a biblical idea here. Now, today, people go public about a lot of different things in their personal lives. Uh, in fact, how many of you seen posts on social media of an engagement? Or they have these gender reveals where they, they do these elaborate setups where they reveal the gender of their, of their baby. Uh, or they may even do something where they reveal, hey, I got a new job, and they post it on social media, and, and, they're, and you know, they're excited about it. That's why they do it. They want to share that news with the whole world to see, but baptism is way more exciting and way more important than any of those things to share. Listen, there's no better news to share than I've been forgiven and adopted into the family of God. I've been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ and boldly declaring for everybody to see and hear, I am giving my allegiance to none other than King Jesus who loved me and died for my sins. Now, when we do that through baptism, that can bring rejection from some people in our lives. It can even bring a little bit of persecution, in fact, a lot of persecution, depending on where you live in the world. And so baptism, it involves a very earnest commitment on behalf of the one who is getting baptized. Now, before we go any further, I also want us to consider two uh, misconceptions people have about baptism. Notice this in your notes. And the two misconceptions are this. Baptism is either necessary for one's salvation, or it's not important at all after one's salvation. And so some people think baptism is necessary for salvation. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible teaches that baptism itself does not save you. Listen, nothing that we do can save us. As as Chris read uh, the, the passage in Romans, what did he say at the end? Aren't you thankful that Everything that needs to be done is already done. We have a a done, not a do. We don't do in order to earn merit with God and to earn God's grace and favor and earn salvation. hallelujah for that. Scripture is clear that we are saved through faith in Christ's death and resurrection. Ephesians 2.8 says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, in fact, it's it's in that whole chapter there, that through faith our sins are forgiven, that we are counted righteous by God and we are reconciled to God. How? All by faith in Jesus Christ. So we are baptized not in order to be saved, but rather because we are already saved. Some people also think there, well, since baptism doesn't save me, then it's not important after my salvation. I could take it or leave it. Adrian Rogers, who was a pastor, who has since passed away, he says this, and I quote, Baptism is not incidental. It is fundamental. Don't ever minimize what God has so maximized. Think of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He had a ministry of three and a half years. And how did he commence his ministry? By being baptized. And how did he conclude his ministry? By commanding baptism in the Great Commission. So why should we be baptized? Let me show you three reasons why. First reason why is this, to follow the example of Jesus Christ, to follow his example. As Adrian Rogers already alluded to, Jesus began his public ministry by being baptized. We see this in Matthew chapter three specifically. If you want to turn there, look at it with me. Matthew chapter three, verses 13 through 17. And look what it says here. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, here in Matthew 3, baptism is a picture of repentance or turning from sin. John the Baptist is coming on the scene here. And he's preparing the way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus, obviously, was sinless. He had no sin that he needed to repent of. So why is Jesus being baptized? Well, the short answer is this. Jesus is simply giving us an example of righteousness to all who would follow him. In other words, he's identifying with us. He's identifying with people need to repent of their sin and who will repent of their sin and trust him as their savior and lord and so the first reason that we should be baptized is to follow jesus example listen in his baptism he identified with you and i and in our baptism we are identifying ourselves with him the second reason is to obey the command of Christ. So the first reason is to follow the example of Christ. The second reason is to obey the command of Christ. You say, which command? With the command that Jesus gives us at the end of the book of Matthew, at the end of his ministry, his time here on earth. Look what it says in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. This is known as the Great Commission com- passage of Scripture. And Jesus is telling his disciples and all of the rest of the followers of Jesus Christ in the days to come. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so according to Jesus, we make disciples by baptizing true believers in Jesus Christ and then teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. This is why we see in the book of Acts, everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is being baptized because Jesus commanded it. And now the apostles are following through on Jesus' command here. People are obeying the command. And so don't miss this. Baptism, it is an issue, an obedience issue, For every Christian. It's the first act of obedience after one believes in Jesus Christ to Jesus now as our Savior and King. Which means not to be baptized is to live in disobedience of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning, if you're watching online even, and you are a Christian, that is, you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, and you have yet to be baptized, then I encourage you, you need to follow the example of Jesus Christ, and you need to obey the command of Jesus Christ and be baptized. And so the first two reasons why we should be baptized is is to follow our Savior and King, do what He did. Since we're followers of Jesus Christ, we follow his example. And one of those examples is to be baptized. And not only that, but to obey him. He is our king now. We owe allegiance to him. And so we obey everything he commands us. And the first act of obedience is baptism. But there's also a third reason. That is to show your faith in Christ. Baptism is more than just a command to obey. Listen, it's an opportunity to show one's faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, baptism is how you go on record as a Christian. It's how you publicly profess your faith in, in submission to Jesus Christ. It's like the believers did in Acts 18.8, where it says, and many of the Corinthians hearing, and what did they hear? They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed in it, and then it says, and they were Baptized. You see, baptism is where our faith in Christ goes public. It's where we publicly identify as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. When we get baptized, we are essentially putting on a jersey that says, Team Jesus. Man, I am playing by his rules. I am following his commands in the community of his church. And by the way, it is obvious when somebody gets baptized, right? Everybody sees it. I mean, you get soaked, and everyone present sees you disappear under the water and reappear up out of the water. And that's why the Apostle Paul singles out baptism as a sign of conversion in Colossians chapter 2. But what's interesting, he doesn't just refer to baptism there. He actually says in verse 12, in which you were also raised with him through faith. And so Paul assumes here that faith was present at the time of one's baptism. Why? Because faith in Christ is the reason for one's baptism. Now, just so there's no misunderstanding here, does the act of being baptized make someone a Christian? Great answer. Thank you. Think of it this way. If I go up here and I show you the baptismal and I, let's say I forgot to empty it, and so I'm showing it to you and you accidentally fall in down the stairs and you get all wet, are you now all of a sudden a Christian if you weren't already? Does that make you a believer in Jesus Christ? No, clearly not. Just as putting on a wedding ring on your finger doesn't make you married automatically. Listen, if my boys, if I have my my wedding ring on my dresser, and my boys, when they were small, if they came and played with it and put it on their fingers, does that mean, oh, Tyler, you're now all of a sudden married at seven years old? Well, of course not. We know that's crazy, right? Listen, it's in a wedding ceremony that the exchanging of the rings is the visible symbol of commitment that's made between the bride and the groom. And now what do they do after that ceremony? They wear those rings as a sign of their covenant love to one another. And likewise, baptism, it doesn't make you a Christian. It simply shows that you are already a Christian through faith in Jesus Christ. And now you are committed to living for Him, to following Him, and obeying all that He's commanded us to do. Think of it this way How do you prove you're a Christian? Is it by what you say? Well, that's the beginning of it. You prove you're a Christian by you obey Christ's commands. That's what Jesus himself said. And his first command is what? To be baptized. So when we believe in Jesus, we should have the same attitude, the same response as the Ethiopian eunuch who, when he believed the gospel, he asked Philip in Acts 8.36, listen, He just got saved. What prevents me now from getting baptized? What prevents me? And Philip's like, nothing. You know what they did next? Philip baptized him. That should be our joy. That should be our same response after receiving Christ as our Savior and Lord, our King. Our response should be, I now want to follow Jesus Christ, and I want to show the world I want to follow him in baptism. So that's the biblical mandate of baptism. But what is baptism? What is it? Well, that brings us to number two, the meaning of baptism. The meaning. What is baptism? Well, baptism is so much more than just getting wet, even in a fun way. And I'm all for fun. But as one pastor shared, how years ago controversy erupted when a large megachurch installed a fire truck baptistry in their children's area complete with sirens and confetti cannon that went off when children were baptized. And to which he said to that, somewhere in Europe, our Baptist forefathers were turning over in their graves with each blast of the cannon. Now, I'm all for fun. And believe me, when we baptize, it's a celebration. But a fire truck baptistry, yeah, probably not the best way to communicate the meaning of baptism. So what is the meaning of baptism? While there are numerous definitions, I like how Bobby Jamison defines baptism in his book, Understanding Baptism. Here's what he says, and I quote, Baptism is a church's act of affirming and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing him or her in water." And it's a believer's act of publicly committing him or herself to Christ and his people, thereby uniting a believer to the church and marking off him or her to the world. Now, that's a great definition. I love it. It's a mouthful. So let me kind of break it down and add what my you know, more biblical aspects, not more, but other biblical aspects to it here. And so what I want to do is give you a three-part definition. And it's all centered around these three words. So think of it this way. Baptism is about celebration. It's about an illustration. It's about identification. Here's what I mean by that. Baptism, number one, is a joyful celebration of the grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, every time a person enters into a new life with Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15 that all of heaven rejoices. They throw a party, it's a celebration. And baptism is a celebration for the church when somebody receives Christ. It is a celebration of God's grace in the life of the believer. More specifically, baptism is a celebration of the grace of Jesus Christ that has occurred in salvation in that person's life. Baptism is a physical celebration of that spiritual transformation. Think about God's grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, and He did so as our substitute, amen? But He didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave as our Savior and Lord. And one day, He is coming back as our King. Baptism is a celebration of that reality now applied to our hearts. And so when someone is baptized, they are not being made right with God. They are celebrating that reality and that they have already been made right before God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a celebration. Baptism is a celebration of the wonderful, amazing grace of Jesus Christ applied in that person's life. Number two, baptism is a visible illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a picture of the gospel's application in one's life, that this person has turned from sin, and they have turned to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But baptism doesn't just affirm those realities, it actually portrays those realities. Think of Jesus Christ dying, being buried, and rising again. Baptism visibly illustrates our union with this death Burial and resurrection when we are plunged into the water and we come up out of the water. This is what the Apostle Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 6 that Pastor Chris read for us. Notice a couple of verses specifically, though, in verses 3 and 4. Look what Paul writes. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So think through this. Think about how the gospel is illustrated in baptism. As we are plunged beneath the waters, what are we illustrating? We're illustrating that our old self, that was enslaved to sin, has now died in the death of Jesus Christ. And listen, we don't stay under the water for very long, do we? For obvious reasons. Even if you lose your footing and I try to dunk you, we try to quickly get you back up out of the water. But mainly we do so because Jesus didn't stay in the grave for very long. And so as we are raised up out of the waters, we are illustrating that our new self, freed from sin and death, has now been raised in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus has been raised from the dead, we now have been raised to do something. We've been raised to walk as followers of Christ. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul, we've been raised to an entirely new life. We've been raised to newness of Jesus Christ. We are a new creation. And so we come up out of the water signifying, Man, I am not the same person as before Jesus Christ intervened and radically transformed me. I am different. And baptism illustrates that in a glorious way. But number three, baptism is also a public identification. It's a public identification with the person of Christ and the people of Christ. Now, if the meaning of baptism had to be summarized in one word, this is the word I would use. So if you only had an elevator conversation with somebody, what is baptism? And you're on the first floor, Bill, and you're going up to floor number five, this would be the word I would use first and talk about this. This is the meaning of baptism. Identification. Baptism speaks primarily of public identification with Jesus Christ and his church, If I may quote Bobby Jameson again, he writes, baptism is how you publicly identify yourself with Jesus and his people. It is how you visibly signify that you are united to Christ in his death burial and resurrection it is how you become identified before the church in the world as one who belongs to the triune god it is how you publicly embrace jesus as your savior and submit to him as your lord how important is your baptism it is super important It is your public identification with Jesus Christ, your Savior and your King and His people, the body of Jesus Christ, His church. And in order to respond to the gospel, we are commanded to turn to Jesus inwardly and outwardly. And the outward declares the inward. Baptism is performed publicly, not privately. Think about it again in Acts chapter 2. Those who repented and were baptized. All those people that day stepped forward from the crowd to be baptized publicly were marking themselves off as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus wants from us. He wants followers everybody can see. Followers the whole world can see. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Listen, folks, there is no such thing as secret disciples of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. There just isn't. You won't find it. Read through the New Testament yourself. The only way to follow Jesus is to do so openly where everyone can see you. And baptism is how we publicly declare ourselves, listen, I belong to my Savior and King, Jesus Christ, and I belong to this church family who is going to encourage me in my walk with the Lord. And I'm going to be there for them and serve with them. This is what baptism means. It is a joyful celebration of the grace of Jesus Christ. It is a visible illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a public identification of the person and people of Jesus Christ. Moving on, let's rediscover the mode of baptism. The mode. How should I be baptized? Now, I've got to be honest here with you. Throughout church history, there's been a little debate well, a lot of debate, over the mode of baptism, which we don't have time to elaborate on here this morning. But I will say this about it. All throughout church history, everyone agrees that water is involved in baptism. But the debate ensues regarding how water should be applied. And so you have some churches today... Depending on their denomination and theological traditions, they baptize by pouring or sprinkling. While other churches, non-denominational churches and Baptist churches in particular, they baptize by immersion. So how do we here at LifeBridge practice baptism? Well, as most of you have figured out by now with the baptismal behind me, we believe immersion is the most biblical way to baptize believers in Jesus Christ. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why we believe this and practice this mode of baptism. In fact, we practice baptism by immersion in light of the following three considerations. First of all, baptism in the Greek. Uh, it's the word baptizo. It actually means to immerse, to plunge, or to submerge something in water, Later on, this Greek word became a technical term that referred specifically to the Christian ordinance of baptism. So that's the first reason why. The second reason why we practice immersion is we believe baptism by immersion best pictures the symbolism of being buried with Christ and raised with Christ. Now, whether someone is buried below ground or above ground, the symbolism of a burial is still that of being placed under something. Likewise, resurrection is accomplished by coming up out of something, whether it's a grave or a tomb. And so immersion best symbolizes this reality by placing the believer underwater and bringing them up out of the water. And then the third reason we believe this is because baptism by immersion is consistently portrayed by examples of baptism in Scripture. In fact, you realize that the most common biblical language associated with baptism in the New Testament is this, going into the water and coming up out of the water. Take John the Baptist, for example. He wasn't just standing on the shore of the Jordan River with a cup in hand, pouring his cup of water over people. No way. John the Baptist took people into the Jordan River he brought them into that river and he dumped them. In fact, that's how he got his name. You ever wonder that? John the Baptist. We might say John the Baptizer, or if you want, John the Dunker. In fact, we are told in John chapter 3, verse 23, that John also was baptizing at a different river and in near Salem. Why? Because the water there was plentiful, it says. And people were coming and being baptized. Now, you don't need... Water that's plentiful if you're just going to sprinkle them or pour water on top of them. The reason you need plentiful water is so you can submerge them. You can immerse them under the water and bring them up out of the water. Take the example of Jesus Christ that we just read in Matthew 3.16. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water also implying that he was already down into the water. How about the example of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, 38-39? It says, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, there are certainly situations where it might be appropriate to make an exception to immersion. For example, maybe for physical reasons, it is just impossible for a person to to get up here, walk down these stairs into the baptismal, and get baptized. And yet, they want to follow the Lord's example. They want to obey the, the command of the Lord and be baptized. So what do we do as a church I think then we would want to do all that we can to facilitate that person's baptism, however best that may be, while understanding at the same time that immersion is the most biblical way to baptize in practice and in principle. Now, quickly, two more questions. Two more questions. Who should be baptized? That's an important question to answer. And the answer is everyone. Who has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Baptism, as we've already said, is an outward proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore it is only for believers in Jesus Christ. So every believer should be baptized, and some for the first time as believers, if they were baptized before believing in Jesus Christ. And when should I be baptized? And the answer to that is as soon as you are saved and can publicly proclaim your salvation in Jesus Christ or as soon as you understand the significance of baptism and your need to be baptized. Now, why does all this matter? Let me come to the yes, but so what question and answer that for us here. Why is baptism so important for me as a believer in Jesus Christ? Here's the reason why. Notice this in your notes. Baptism points us to the promise of Christ in the gospel, and that promise strengthens our faith in life. There was a period in his life when the great reformer, who I think the New Life class is studying this man, a guy by the name of Martin Luther, And there was a period in his life where he was hiding from persecution in a castle. The established church had rejected him. They had labeled him a heretic. And so it was a rather dark time in Martin Luther's life. In fact, so much so that he struggled with personal doubt and discouragement in his Christian life. Luther even said that the devil came to him every night to dispute with him. In fact, on one occasion, it is said that he threw an ink pot across the room at the devil. I'll let you think of that what you want. But another strategy that Martin Luther had was to do this. He would actually shout in his room, Satan, I am baptized. I have left your wilderness. You have no more jurisdiction. Which is rather interesting because I think Martin Luther is actually... Alluding to the baptism of Jesus Christ in Matthew 3 and what happens immediately in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is ushered by Satan into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Right after his baptism. Where Jesus knew he would need spiritual strength. Here's the point. Our faith needs strengthened. And especially when we struggle with doubt and discouragement when doubts come, or when Satan accuses you, and he does, or when sin throws everything into confusion into your life. And at those moments in time, listen, folks, we don't turn inward and look for strength in the murky depths of our own hearts. We turn outward and we look to Jesus Christ, and our baptism helps us to do that. Luther would go on and he would write, and I quote, He says, thus, we must regard baptism and put it to use in such a way that we may draw strength and comfort from it when our sins or conscience oppress us and say, I am baptized. And if I have been baptized, I have the promise that I shall be saved and have eternal life both in soul and body. Now, of course, wandering around your room shouting, I'm baptized. It's not enough to save you if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ. But as believers in Christ, listen to me, when we are afraid and when we feel the weight of our sin, when we feel the power of the enemy, we ought to say and we can say, listen, I am baptized and that has meaning. In other words, I have received the promise of Jesus Christ. God is for me and if God is for me, who can be against me? You say, what's the big deal about baptism? it points you, it points me, it points us to the promise of Jesus Christ in the gospel, and that promise ought to strengthen our faith in life, just like it did for Martin Luther. So I encourage you, listen, look to your baptism and see yourself dripping, soaking wet with water, and let God's promise that you are forgiven in Christ, strengthen you. Why? Because you have passed through judgment to new life in Jesus Christ. And not even Satan himself can reverse that. That is a done deal. Hallelujah. Amen? Now, let's pray. But before we pray, if you're a believer, I want to invite you to follow and obey the Lord in baptism if you haven't already. And so before you leave here this morning, let us know of your interest by filling out the connection card. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, but you're exploring Christianity, listen, we'd we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to help you show you passages of Scripture of what it means to believe in Christ, how to know for sure that when you die, where your eternal destiny is, how to have the the joy of salvation in this life today, now, what it means to follow Christ. So reach out to us. Let us help you in that manner as well. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your your wonderful gift of these two ordinances, and specifically here, baptism. Lord, we thank you for your example for us and and even how you've commanded us to do this. And Lord, it has meaning, it has significance. May we look at our own baptism as a... a Just as a a tool that strengthens and bolsters our faith because of what it means and our understanding of it. And Lord, perhaps there's some here today who are believers but have yet to obey you. May you convict them. May they uh, take that next step of obedience and being baptized. Lord, those that maybe don't know you yet, may you convict them of their need for the Savior Jesus Christ, knowing that. Their only hope in life is, is found in him. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, this morning, again, before we stand and sing and close out our service, we want to present to you and celebrate as well two, uh, actually three more members uh, for church membership here at LifeBridge. So I'm going to invite Norma Webb and uh, Dan and Kathy Allen. I want you guys to come on up and stand here at the front. And uh, I'm so excited for these three people to join our church in membership. They, they have completed our new members class. And after talking with them, they listen, they are confident. They are for sure. They know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and been baptized and, and want to commit themselves to our church family. And uh, we're excited about that. Are you, Say amen and welcome them. And, uh, and so they're both coming from other churches and transfer of letter. And uh, Norma here is coming from the warm state of Florida. Yes. And uh, for those of you don't know, this is Kim, Adrian's mother. And uh, she's been up here for a little over a year now, I think. And, uh, and so we're, it just, we're excited to have you join us officially. And this is Dan and Kathy Allen. who used to, Kathy used to live here in Kansas City. Actually, they used to be part of our church family many, many, many years ago. And then they, she migrated out to California where she met Dan. And then they came back to the Midwest. And so we're excited to have you guys here part of our church family as well. And so what they're committing to is, as we read last Sunday, our church covenant is that they will protect the unity of our church. They will share the responsibility of our church. They will serve the ministry of our church. They will support the testimony of our church. And they will safeguard the purity of our church and submit to the authority of our church. That's the membership covenant they're making. And, of course, we are making that back to them in linking arms together as a church family here as one body in Jesus Christ. And so they'll be up here at the end of the service. Come by and welcome them and celebrate with them into our church family. All right, you guys can be seated right there. And the rest of us, why don't we stand? And uh, Well, you guys can remain standing. Uh, I don't know why I said be seated. So, and uh, we will sing and be dismissed here.